Hallelujah. I'm so, so thankful you're here. And I'll let you be seated, but you have to promise that you'll find Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And uh, if you'll do so, and if you'll preach with me, I guess, we'll get somewhere. Last, of course, last Sunday we had this, this incredible uh, ice storm that never really happened. But it sure messed everybody up and got everybody all thinking everybody's going to die. And You know, you were prepared to eat your loved ones if the electricity went out, whatever it was going to be. But I and many other churches, we canceled Sunday morning and then sat at home and watched it rain. But whatever. I was planning on preaching Sunday morning what I had to preach or what I ended up preaching Sunday night. And so let's take it. Sunday night. I preach from this passage of scripture, Luke chapter 5 verse 11, and I preach that, you know, that, that Peter and, and James and John, they had fished all night and caught nothing, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, hey, why don't you go out into the deep and cast your nets out, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure Peter and John said, but Lord, we've, we've fished, we've done everything, we've, we, we know what we're doing, we're fishermen, but the point of the message was if you will put your life in the hands of God and let God tell you what to do. Because you don't know enough. Your, you, your ways are not his ways. Your ways are not high like his. And so if, it's, if God tells you to do it, it will happen. Of course, anytime I'm going to talk about fishing, that's easy because I love to fish. And then Wednesday night, we came here together and I preached on the danger of the drift. That when you lose your power, when your boat motor goes out, when your sails are torn, when the oars are, are, have fallen out of the boat, you are at the, the whim of the wind and the whim of the current. The danger of the drift. Well, I had illustrations there because I, I have boats and I know what it's like to have boat motors conk out on the Missouri, Mississippi River. I preached a little bit on fishing. And so today, because it's the middle of October and I have yet to fish this year, and obviously I have cabin fever. We're going to talk about fishing, Brother Miller. Is that okay? January, whatever I, you know. <laughs> My birthday is in October. I'm just trying to look ahead. Try, try to prepare y'all. I'm okay. It's been a long winter. Lord help us. How about we get in the word of God and maybe I can get out of whatever I'm in. So I'm going to take you back to the same scriptures that I was going to read last Sunday night because I was going to preach Sunday night's message Sunday morning and then this message Sunday night, but we messed it all up. So let's go to Luke chapter 5 verse 1 and I want to take another side of this scripture text and I want to preach to you this morning. And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by Lake Jacinaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so Jesus entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out to the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered, saying, Master, we've toiled all night. And have taken nothing, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. 
And Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished and all that were with him with the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from thenceforth, henceforth, thou shalt catch men. And they brought their ships to land. They forsook all and they followed him. I want to preach to you this morning and we're going to go different ways, but, but it's all in this. Nets are made for fishing. Nets are made for fishing. If you will just allow me to transport you back to the shores of Galilee. That sea there. I'm going to bring my net back out. I, I told you Sunday night that there in, in that time they would use nets. Nets that they had made by hand. Nets that they had crafted out of out of fibers, they didn't have all of the, the, the special manufacturing capabilities that you and I have today. They would have been made out of natural fibers, some sort of a, a hemp or a, a fibrous material. And they would have uh, tied each knot together. In fishing, there are different ways to fish with nets. You can throw them out like a cast net or you can take a couple boats and you can tie them together and encircle a group of fish or, you know, you can let them down and let the fish run into them. All of those are, are common things. I've used cast nets and I don't know if you know those. Those are the ones that are in a circle and you throw them kind of like a frisbee and they open up and we use them a lot in down south. We catch shrimp, mullet, things of that nature, but... The problem with those nets is when you don't know what's under the water, they tend to catch on everything. And I've caught my nets on oyster beds. I've caught my nets on rusty bicycles. I've caught my nets on uh, uh, rocks. And you pull and you pull until they come up and they have ripped. And so it was common practice. You can see this. See, there are three different times at least that I can tell in the Word of God that Jesus met with some of the disciples when they were with their nets. The first one happens in the first part of Matthew and, 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 and other places. And it says that he saw them and they were mending their nets. And he said, follow me. Then later you find this, Luke chapter 5. It's the second time that Jesus comes. It's a second calling. It's a deeper commitment, if you will, for these disciples called Simon, which you know as Peter or James and John. And then you will find it at the end of our sermon and at the end of the Gospels, you will find that Jesus found them once again with nets. But it was a common occurrence. Let me get it tangled up in your shoe right there. It was a common occurrence that when they would get done with fishing, they would take these natural fiber nets and they would have to sit down and the work was not done when they came back. They would put their boat up and they would sit and, hands, and, and painstakingly and by hand they would examine each square of the net. They would have to clean the nets. There would be mud and junk and debris. There would be fishes that didn't get out that were now drying and whatever little crustaceans may have been in the Sea of Galilee. And, and they would have taken those nets that could have possibly been uh, 20, 30, maybe 100 feet long and they would go through every one. They would make sure that there was no weak spots in the net because a weak spot would have meant the day they caught a big fish, it would find that spot. And they would lose their fish and they would clean those nets. 
And then they would dry them because these were not synthetic fibers. These were, 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 were fibers from plants or, or hemp or, or, or that. And so if, when they got wet, if they didn't put them upright, they would dry. They would get crackly. They would dry rot if they weren't careful and they would disintegrate. And so a good fisherman knew that it was important to clean his nets. I can only imagine, if you'll hang with me for a moment, I can only imagine the time that Peter and James and John in those two boats had taken as they mended their nets. They had fished all night, according to this passage of Scripture. They had toiled all night for nothing. They were tired. They were hungry. But they had to do what they knew to do, and that was they had to fix their nets. Maybe I'm reading too much in the story But in my own imagination, it was, you know, perhaps late morning. They had not gone to bed yet. And they were now done. In my mind, I see the nets hung up on their their net hangers, whatever it was. I see Peter going, whew, I'm glad that's over. I'm going home. I'm going to jump in bed and I'm going to go to sleep. I'm tired. We fixed the nets. They look good. They're going to hold. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus does what Jesus does best. He messes with our schedule. And he looks at a fisherman who has fished all night, Brother Miller. And he looks at a fisherman that has taken all of this time to clean the net and get it ready. And what does Jesus say? Throw it back in the water. Now, I'm reading into Peter's Uh, emotions because I kind of understand Peter and if you look through the gospels if you're a student of the word of God you know that Peter never had a problem speaking his mind you know that there was a time that Jesus you know Peter kind of talked back to Jesus which you know more power to him that's a kind of scary spot that I think you're in in fact Jesus looked at Peter and said would you just get behind me Satan and I mean when Jesus calls you Satan you know you overstepped your bounds And so Peter didn't have a problem speaking his mind, so why should this not be any different? Peter goes, wait a second, Lord, we've worked all night. Don't you see, I just got done washing the net, and I just got done making sure all the holes are clean. Can't I just rest? But yet Peter, as tired as he was, Peter as as just, you know, I know he didn't want to do it. I know Peter loved to fish. I do know that. But Peter really didn't want to do that that time. When you fished all day and haven't caught anything, you just need a couple days to kind of chill out and get your mind ready to go back fishing. But nevertheless, Peter said, at your word, we'll throw him back out. And so Peter, and I know, I know, Peter said, whatever, Lord. There's no fish. I told you that. Don't you see, Lord, now we're in here. Do you understand that I haven't slept all night? I've got to now take this net out of the water, do exactly what I did earlier. There's nothing in it, and Jesus says, pull it up. And he begins to pull it up. And there has never been a catch like this. 
He begins to pull, and I don't know exactly who was in, in, in Peter's boat. I don't know if it was Andrew, his brother. I don't know uh, what it was, but he begins to pull, and the more he pulls, the more that boat begins to tip, and he realizes this is a none, uh, something uh, as such as he has never caught. He hollers off to the shore, hey, hey, uh, uh, James and John, hey, get your dad, Zebedee, come quick. I've never caught anything like this before. The other boat rows out there. They grab hold of the net and the Bible, which we know is true, so it's not going to exaggerate as most fishermen are prone to do. This is not a fish story. This is one that really happened. He pulls the net in. There are so many fish that it filled their boat and the Zebedee guys' boat, and they both began to sink they've never caught that many fish I would like to posit to you this morning this question Peter might have been frustrated when Jesus told him to put that freshly washed mended net back in the water but do you think he got mad that he had to get his net dirty when he saw the harvest let me say it again help me out Y'all worship, and I know you're, you, you've, you've given your all, but help me for just a moment. Do you think Peter was still mad when he pulled in the greatest harvest of fish he had ever caught, even though he had just washed and mended his net? I want to tell you somebody today that nets were made for fishing. That the whole reason you have a net is so that you can bring the harvest whenever the master calls. Can I talk to you for just a moment? Let me preach to somebody here. I know I might be preaching to the choir, but that's all right. It's okay when, when little things happen to the church building, when a runner gets in the carpet or maybe there's a smudge on a glass door or maybe the Sunday school teachers put a, a, a staple for some decorations in the wall it's okay when the building's used as long as there's a harvest. Ah, oh, pastor, do I really have to come to church again? Do I really have to come to prayer meeting? Absolutely, because your net was made for fishing. But, but pastor, do we, in just a little bit, in the month of, 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 of February, we do our, bill, our business meeting and we're going to look and we're going to see money being spent and, and we do our very best to be good stewards of the money. But do we really need to spend that money? Yes, because nets were made for fishing. Oh yeah, we can clean the nets and we can mend the nets. In fact, I bought this net, I bought it on Amazon. And you know what it said? Decorative Fishing net, not for use in fishing. As a good fisherman, that frustrates me. But as a saint and a minister of the Most High God, it frustrates me when saints of God want to just kind of be all prim and proper. And I'm wondering, is there anybody that might have a label that says not use for fishing? They're just here to be good. Can I tell somebody right now, your carpet may get worn and your paint may start peeling, but the question is, was the net full? Discipleship is never convenient 
I, I want you to go to heaven and I'm glad you got the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name. I'm glad you repented of your sins and that's wonderful. But I'm going to tell you right now, your salvation was not just so you can sit on a pearly throne in a golden street and live in your nice mansion. He designed you, everything about you, he made for fishing. Discipleship's never convenient. Let me take you to Luke chapter 9 and verse 5. I mean verse 57 rather. I'm not going to read it verbatim but you can kind of follow the Bible. This is another place where God begins to call, Jesus begins to call some disciples and he, he, he goes to one man, a certain man says, Lord I will follow you wherever you want me to go. Jesus simply responded, alright well the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but this son of man, I, I don't have anywhere to lay my, down my head. If you're going to follow me, you're not going to be sleeping in the Ritz-Carlton. If you follow me, you're, you're not going to have a mansion. It's going to be some long nights and some long days of walking, and we might sleep out under the stars. Another one said, or, or rather Jesus said to another, follow me. That man said, well, Lord, first let me go bury my father. I'm going to explain that in a moment. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another one said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this teaching, if you take it in face value, it's a radical thing. But that's what discipleship is. There were three people that, that either wanted to invite themselves or, or the other two, Jesus invited them on this journey. Nowhere in the book of Luke did Luke record their responses, which to me I take as a negative thing that they could not commit. The first man said, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to have to give up some conveniences. You're going to have to, it's going to be some work. But the harvest will be great. The second man he calls with almost those same words that he had called his other disciples. And this man said, first let me go and bury my father. Let me tell you this. Uh, this doesn't mean that this man's dad had just died and he needs to go to the funeral home and make the arrangements. Because Jesus does not operate like that. If you were to read your commentaries and read the understanding, the understanding was this. He said, Lord, I have a father who's a little older. And, and how about this? When my father dies, I'll follow you. As far as we know, that man's father was in perfect health. But it was one of these, Lord, just let me wait until he dies and then I will go to you. Perhaps, maybe. That man just wanted to be there in case they happened to read a will and he might get something from his father's estate and he didn't want to, you know, lose that. See, discipleship is never convenient. The third man wanted to go home and say goodbye to his family and while that's not bad, we understand it. In fact, Elisha, uh, or rather Elijah allowed Elisha to do that when the prophet Elijah called Elisha uh, to ministry and he allowed him to go home. But here there's something else. He knew, Jesus knew, if that man was ever to go home, he would never leave again. 
I've seen this happen all too often. I've seen people come to church. I've seen people get the Holy Ghost, but as soon as they get back with their family, their family begins to speak to them, and suddenly that passion they felt at an altar and that passion they felt in a church service kind of dissipates. But I'm telling you today, discipleship costs you something. But it's all right because the harvest is worth whatever you got to do to mend and clean the nets. This gets on my, my heart many, many times. Matthew chapter 25, in fact, if you have your Bibles, while I may not read it verbatim and word for word, I'd at least like you to see it. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. It's a common parable of the Lord. You've heard it, but let me remind you of this. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. He called the first servant and he said, I'm going to give you five talents. That's a a portion of money. To the next servant, he said, I'm going to give you two talents. And to the third, I'm going to give you one. And he did so according to these men's ability. And straightway, this man took his journey. The one that had received the five talents, the Bible says, he went, traded with it, and got five more back. And and, and basically at the end of the day or end of the time, he had ten talents. Likewise, the one that had received two of the talents, when he was done, he had gained two more. He had four. But the one that went, that received the one, he went and he dug in the earth and he put it in a coffee can and he hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord came back, this master, he came back and he looked at his servants and he said, please tell me what you did. And the one that had five, he he came back perhaps with a leather bag and he said, Lord, you gave me five talents. You gave me five pieces of money and, and, and I did the best I could and I was able to gain you five more. Here are ten. The one that had two he said, I, I, I did what I could and, and, and I went and gained two more. Here is four. And to both of those, the Lord looked at them and said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, for you've been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he called the one who had one. And he said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strong. And I was afraid and I went and hid my talent in the earth. And so here it is. Everything thou hast is yours. Anybody got a quarter or any type of change? Somebody give me a quarter. I don't believe in cash money. I don't know how it works. Obviously a bunch of y'all don't. I hear some. What do you got? Give me. Thank you. So here, give it to me. Now, whose was this? Steve's. Let's, let's see it again. Do it real high so everybody can see what you're doing. Give it to me. Okay. Whose is this? Steve's. I knew that Steve was a hard master. I knew that Steve, he, he, he had a, a, a good accounting system. His CPA and his accountant was first, or rather second to none, rather. And so I took that that you gave me. And I did not want to lose it because if I ever lost your money, I'm in a bad shape. And so I took it and I hid it in the ground. But then one day I I hear, oh, our master's coming. And so I go back and I dug it up. 
and I shined it pretty. I'm getting somewhere. Hang with me. And I made sure it was the pretty piece of silver talent that I could ever get. And when you came back, I handed you exactly what you gave me. I didn't lose anything. But watch the response of the master. The master said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not, neither gathered where I had not strong. You should have therefore given my money to the exchangers, put it in the bank, and then at my coming I would have at least received my own money with some interest. So therefore I'm going to take what I gave you and I'm going to give it to the one that had done something with it and then I'm never going to want to see you again. I'm going to cast you out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, Pastor, what exactly does that mean? I'm going to tell you right now that if you think that you, God can fill you with his spirit and you can do nothing and you're going to get to heaven and say, look how shiny I am, I don't think it's going to make him very happy. In fact, I would tell you, Jesus would rather you show up broken and show up dirty, but say, Lord, I put my net every time I could. I put my net in the, in the waters every time I could. I was trying to win. I tried to give. Lord, I broke some things. I didn't always have it pretty, but God, I tried. Nets were made for fishing. The Lord doesn't want wall hanger Christians. The Lord's not interested in just looking down and saying, oh, don't they look good? They clean up so nice. I'm going to tell you right now, he's wanting you to do something. Here's the incredible thing. At the end of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 21, he shows himself again to the disciples there at the same sea. They don't exactly know who he is at the moment. Simon's there, Thomas is there, Nathaniel's there, James and John are there, and two other disciples are there. And Jesus, you know, he had already resurrected and, and they had seen him, but they were kind of unsure of what their ministry was going to be. And so Peter says, I'm just going to kind of go back to something I know. I'm going to go jump in the boat, kind of clear my mind. I'm going to fish. And the rest of them jumped in too. And all night, it's a common occurrence with Peter. He was a bad fisherman, I guess. All night, they caught nothing. Morning comes again and Jesus is on the shore and they don't quite know who he is and he calls out did you catch anything and as I mentioned Sunday night that's not a good thing to tell a skunked fisherman they hang their head and they say nope it was bad fishing and they made excuses as to why they couldn't catch it Jesus says why don't you let down your nets on the other side just the width of a boat wouldn't have seemed to make that much sense, but that's what we preached Sunday or last Sunday night, that when Jesus says do it, it's going to happen. So they put down their nets on the other side of the boat, and they begin to pull it in, and when they pulled it in, they could not even draw it because of the draught of the fishes. They were not very far from land. And so this time they said, we're not going to break our nets, and, and, and they drag it in, and the Bible says it was a hundred and... Uh, 52 fishes I believe it was a massive catch 
and they 153 fishes. The Bible makes it very clear in verse 11 that while there were so many, the net did not break. I'm here to tell somebody right now, when you commit yourself to the Lord and you're faithful in the small things, There'll be some of those early moments when you've taken time to clean your net and get it all nice and pretty and God says, I need a sacrifice from you and you cast it out and the net breaks. And I mean, it's a great harvest, but it costs you something. Now Peter's going to have to spend more time mending the nets, cleaning the nets. But I'm going to tell you right now that if you'll commit to the Lord and be faithful in those small things and let the sacrifice be present, there will be a time when you'll catch a harvest and your net won't break. Say, Pastor, where you're getting at? Well, it's, it's simple. Next Sunday night, we're going to take our, our, our second annual building fund offering. And, and if you were here last year, you know absolutely the miraculous that we took. That we were able to give. And I'm going to tell you right now, there were moments that, that, that writing that check, because we, we, we focused on, on giving a little every week. But sometimes that little was a lot. And sometimes it seemed like it broke the bank. But the harvest was great. There were times that coming to church... That was the last thing I wanted to do. And I know pastors ought not tell you that, but y'all think that way, so why can't I? But you get out of bed and you come to church, and the harvest was great. There were outreaches. There were trips that you took. There were sacrifices you made, and sometimes it broke the net. But I'm telling you that there will be a moment if you'll be willing to let your net break the sacrifice occur there'll be a day when you can throw the net out and it'll be strong enough and it'll still be a great harvest but you can look back and say ha, God was with it because nets were made for fishing talking to somebody right now. In fact, I'm talking to a lot of people right now. That you have sat on the shore long enough. If you will, coming to church, sitting on a pew, that's part of what mending your nets are. That worship that you do day in and day out, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, that's, that's a good way to clean those nets. And all of those are necessary. But listen to your pastor. You sat on the shore of this church mending and cleaning. And, and you've, you, you've done it for five, six, seven years, maybe longer. And all the while, you hear the voice of the Lord. Hey, go out into the deep and put down your nets. I've got a harvest that you have never even seen waiting. And instead of Peter's words of, Lord, I, I've done it before and it's never worked, so 
But, but nevertheless, I'll go. Instead, you go, yeah, but Lord, I'm, I'm not yet done cleaning my net. Wait another year, Lord, and I'll have the net clean and mended. Let me let, let, let somebody else let down their net for a second. I, I got just a little bit more I got to do. I'm, it's okay, Lord. Keep, keep preaching. Keep talking. I wonder if there's anybody here today that would say, I've been on the shore long enough. I've mended this net long enough. I've cleaned this net long enough. Nevertheless, at thy word, I let down my net. I wonder if we could stand right now. He saved you so you could be a fisher of men. He saved you so that you could make a difference in your world and in your family. He saved you so that you could bring a harvest, the likes that you've never seen. He saved you so that you could feed his sheep, feed his lambs. He saved you. Because nets were made for fishing. I'm going to open these altars. I believe there's some of you that need to come and begin to talk to him right now. Would you speak to him in Jesus' name? Would you come in Jesus' name? I to you.